Life Audio. Welcome to Christian Natural Health with naturopathic Dr. Lauren DeVille. Christian Natural Health is the podcast on how to get and stay healthy God's way. You'll hear topics on nutrition, exercise, sleep, avoiding toxicity, meditating on scripture, what supplements to take, stress management, defeating anxiety and worry, how to reconcile Eastern medicine approaches with Christianity, and a whole lot more. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lauren. Today I'm going to be continuing my series on prayer, uh, and the topic today is on praying with other people, so intercessory prayer and the prayer of agreement. So far in this series, we've looked at prayers for ourselves, for which we must find the scriptures to stand on, we must have faith, and we must maintain our primary focus on the Lord. But how does this apply when we're praying for other people? We can't make others do or believe anything. God won't violate our free will, and we can't violate the free will of others in prayer either. So how does this work? It depends on the context. The default position is that we should be praying for all people at all times, 1 Timothy 2, 1-6 and Ephesians six eighteen, as well as for the cities we live in, Jeremiah 29, 7. Just as for ourselves, this gives God legal entry into the affairs of men so that he can intervene and do what he wants to do on the earth. The Old Testament priestly blessing was, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Numbers six twenty-three to 27 This was what God wanted to do for the children of Israel, and the priests were to invoke this to give him permission on earth to do it. In the New Testament, Jesus made this explicit in Matthew 16, verse 19, and also in Matthew eighteen eighteen, in which he said to his disciples, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The spiritual realm is the greater reality compared to the physical. Paul tells us that we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18 We are to walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7 Using our position of authority in heavenly places through Jesus to change what we see here and conform it to the will of the Father in prayer. Some examples of effective prayer of one individual for others in Scripture are in Job for, uh, chapter 42, God told Job to pray for his friends so that God could forgive their sin rather than punish them for it, Job 42, verse 8. Clearly, this was already God's will, but God still told him to pray for it. In Numbers 11, the Israelites disobeyed God and triggered the cursing side of the covenant laid out in the Torah and consolidated in Deuteronomy 28. But when the people cried out to Moses and Moses interceded to God for them, the curse stopped, Numbers 11, verses 1 to 2. God needed a man to ask him. In a similar story, Miriam disobeyed God and triggered the curse, which now no longer applies to us thanks to Jesus, and Moses had to pray for her to be healed as well, Numbers 12, verse 13. Moses also interceded for the Israelites after the incident of the golden calf, Exodus 32, 31-32, so that they would not be destroyed. Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail even before Peter denied him. Because of this, Jesus was confident that Peter would return to the disciples even after he'd stumbled, Luke 22, verse 32. The faith involved was still Peter's, but somehow Jesus' prayer enabled Peter's faith to be revived. Paul believed that the prayers of his parishioners would occasion his deliverance, favor, and open doors of opportunity for him that might otherwise have been shut without them, Philippians 1, verse 19, 1, 22, and 2 Corinthians 1, 11. Samuel the prophet acknowledged that it was actually a sin to fail to pray for his people. For Samuel 12 verse 23 said, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. 
We pray for others as individuals for the same reason that we pray for ourselves, so that God can do what he wants to do on the earth. How does the prayer of agreement fit into this? Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 19, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Why do we need anybody else to agree with us? Can't we simply ask and receive all on our own? I don't totally understand how this works, but I think it's similar to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12, which is, a threefold cord is not quickly broken, or to the story of Aaron and Hur physically holding up Moses' arms when he got tired to ensure that the Israelites achieved victory in battle in Exodus 17, 8-16. It's why we need the body of Christ to come around us, to bear one another's crushing burdens, even though we should each carry our own light loads, Galatians 6, two, verse, verses 2 and 5. It's very possible for one person alone to grow heartsick rather than patient in a long wait, Proverbs 13, verse 12. That's why we need others to hold up our arms in prayer and encouragement. When our own faith is strong, perhaps, this is my speculation, the prayer of agreement is less necessary. It's when we're losing strength or growing heartsick that the prayer of agreement becomes important. This may be why James tells us that if we're sick, we should ask the elders of the church to anoint us with oil, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and pray over us to receive healing, James 5, verse 14. The assumption is that the church elders are strong in faith as they should be. The request itself would constitute an act of faith on the part of the person asking. The elders in this example would simply be in agreement. There are many examples of people receiving healing on their own faith alone. Mark 5:34, Luke 17 verse 19, Matthew 9:20 to 22, and Mark 10:46 to 52. So this isn't always necessary, but sometimes it is. When we are weak, God gave us each other so that others who aren't as weak, as frustrated or discouraged as we are can join their faith with ours and hold up our arms when they would otherwise fall. When the father of the demonized boy asked Jesus if he could help the boy, Jesus replied that all things are possible when one has faith. Mark 9:23. The father claimed to have faith, but then immediately cried out, help me believe. Jesus did not rebuke him for this, but gave him the help requested, and he did heal the boy. The prayer of agreement doesn't always have to come into play in a place of weakness, though. This may also be the positive side to what God observed of the people who built the Tower of Babel. It said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. That's Genesis 11, verse 6. In other words, this is just a principle of the way God set up the world, and in and of itself, the law is neutral. If one has the power, the combined strength, uh, if, if one has power, the combined strength of many is exponentially more so. As Moses wrote of the Israelites in Leviticus 26, verse 8, five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. When we're around others who are strong, we become that much stronger ourselves. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27, verse 17. I suspect this is also why we are admonished to not forsake the assembling together with other believers. Hebrews 10, verse 25. The assumption is that we are assembling with those who are in agreement. Our stronger faith strengthens those with a weak faith in a particular area, while our weaker faith is strengthened by others whose faith is stronger in another area in turn. But this also works in reverse. If those around you are not in faith, it's more likely that they will influence you with their unbelief than that you will influence them with your faith. Galatians 5.9 and 1 Corinthians 15.33. So don't approach just anybody for agreement in prayer. Be sure you are agreeing on the right things. There's one exception to the rule of intercession, and it falls under the category of church discipline. In Matthew 18, verse 18, when Jesus said, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, he was talking about church discipline. He also said in John 20, verse 23, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Since scripture elsewhere makes it quite clear that only God can forgive sins, Luke 5, 21, this must mean something different. 
We know that there are both spiritual and natural consequences for sins. Jesus took the sins of the whole world and paid for them on the cross from a spiritual standpoint, 1 John 2, 2. But we each must appropriate that to ourselves by faith in him, Romans 10, verse 9. Regardless, that covers only the spiritual consequences. The natural consequences remain, as sin can still give place in our lives to Satan, Ephesians 4, verse 27, allowing him to influence us rather than the Holy Spirit. So the only thing that makes sense is that when Jesus spoke of binding and loosing, remitting or retaining the sins of others, he meant that we can, when we sin, we're giving Satan an inroad into our lives, but through prayer we can bind Satan from bringing the natural consequences of others' sins against them. So while another person may continue to choose to sin and we can't make them do otherwise, we can use our prayers to protect them from the consequences of those sins. That is a good idea only to a point, though. Negative consequences for our actions teach us not to do something bad in the future. Touch a hot stove and you'll burn your hand and learn never to do that again. Overdraw your account and you'll have no money for the things when you truly need them, and etc. But if someone else rescues you from the consequences of your poor choices or from the law of sowing and reaping, Galatians 6 verse 7, repeatedly, you'll never learn to do anything differently and will continue to make the same poor choices. You'll never grow up. That's why in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5, Paul wrote of church members engaging in sexual immorality, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. They deliver him to Satan by withdrawing their intercessory prayers to protect him from the natural consequences of his actions. Paul recommended the same course of action against blasphemers in 1 Timothy 1, 19-20. We see in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 6-11, that this had its intended effect. Some of those who were sinning repented, and Paul instructed the church to receive them back into fellowship so that Satan would not be able to take advantage of the situation. Only if the person does not repent are we to retain their sins unto them, John 20, verse 23, which is the same thing as turning them over to Satan, 1 Corinthians 5, 5. The hope is that they will eventually learn from the natural consequences of their choices and come back to the Lord and into fellowship. Our free will allows us to make our choices, but we can't always choose the results of those choices. The implication here is that if we don't pray for others' protection against Satan's attacks out of laziness rather than a deliberate choice, we are essentially turning them over to Satan. Neglecting intercessory prayer should be the exception and not the rule. So I hope that was helpful to you. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Christian Natural Health. This show is run by you, so please write in with topic and guest suggestions for future shows. For more great content, subscribe to Dr. Lauren's blog at www.drlaurendeville.com or follow her on Facebook or Twitter at Dr. Lauren Deville. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating in iTunes. It really helps us to stand out so other people can discover great content as well. Have a great week and God bless you. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name is Corley Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.